0: This is Jill Nagel. I'm with Dr. Cleo Monago and you're listening to Black and White, with both black and white in their own sets of quotation marks. Hi, Dr. Monago. Is it okay if I call you Cleo?
1: Greetings, Jill. Is so, it okay if I call you Dr. Nagel? I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the problem is, I'm afraid that would go to my head, and we, we all know... It what that would be like.
1: Uh, you can call me Cleo, it's no problem.
0: No problem. OK, Cleo, I'm so glad to be here with you. Um, I want to talk a little bit about something that happened recently and let folks who are listening know where exactly we are. Well, so but first, back to 1993, when I first really met you for the, for the first time and we were both in an informational meeting for a PhD on transformational leadership development put on by um, CIIS, the California Institute of Integral Studies. And I don't remember what it was you were saying, but I got so excited that I grabbed your arm. And then I was slightly mortified and I drew my hand away. And do you remember what you did? Uh, No. Well, you took my hand.
1: I've had several people grab my arm since then and before then, so sorry. (laughs)
0: You took my, you saw that I drew my arm away. You probably saw that I was slightly mortified and you very kindly took my hand and you put it back on your arm. And then we both just started to laugh and laugh and laugh. And that night, um, I don't think you know it, but that night we talked for three hours and that conversation really altered my life. You um, talked to me about your views about white supremacy, about same gender loving people of African descent. And it felt like this whole sort of veil of illusion had been peeled away. And I feel kind of teary as I say it because I feel so much gratitude to you for opening this this door, um, for helping to clear away my lens of perception, if you will.
1: Well, without going into any vast um, ten- tangents in terms of how I feel about that, my first response will be, thank you for acknowledging um, what's really a norm for me and organic for me, but at this late date in my life, um, and it's been years since 1993, as as you probably know, (laughs) um, my perspectives, which I still have, um, feel different to carry than they did back then. Mm. And that will, like I said, send us into another tangent that may or may not be relevant during our conversation, but my energy if anybody picks up on it, it uh, is related to having carried my, these insights uh, all that time and having them while living in this era. It's um, November 1st, 2020, to be specific. And we're some months into what some might call the post George Floyd murder era, which has seen people get closer in proximity under the guise of protest more than ever in many many decades. In other mm-hmm. words, people who are not black coming into black protest spaces with to as it, it, it appears you know to join um, and that's never happened like that in any, any any time in recent in recent decades, probably since the <laughs> 60s.
0: One of the things I remember you saying, is that? Um, and, and correct me here if I'm wrong in my recollection, but I remember something like why people showing up seem to desperately want to dissociate ourselves from the type of white person who would commit a murder like like that of George Floyd.
1: Yeah, if um, it's my perspective that there's more this 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 society the tendency in a society to be concerned about public perspective has been magnified by social media. Yeah. And people are really concerned about how, they, how they're seen and there's memes and people taking pictures and people wake up in the morning in full makeup, even though they don't, but they, they, <laughs> they, they that's what they do. And there's all this prep for public perspective. Yeah. And, and how that's related to this whole disassociation thing is that it's not cute, for lack of a yeah. better term, to be associated with the the on-video live murder of a Black person who yes. act, who, who, who acts for their mother right before being murdered, and being <sighs> plashed all over the media. And there's people among whites who are self-conscious, in some instances, ashamed, or or frankly, nervous, which I think has been exacerbated by the uncertainty of the COVID-19 era. Yeah. Created a magnified anxiety and people going into these black protest spaces, white people, to disassociate from George Floyd out of fear and anxiety and the desire to disassociate as opposed to because they experienced a transformation. And in and, and closing to the tangent, I was saying that if people were really were really skilled enough to and insightful enough to have had a transformation, that they would be lining up at all of the media institutions in this country protesting against the unchanged white supremacist implications of, of the American media. This association looks like transformation and it's not, I mean, for example, um, part of my work involves a- examining the U.S. media and the mm-hmm. Western world media, and it's still just as racist as it always has been. Yeah, there has been no transformation in where the messaging comes from in this culture that creates the illusion of white superiority, white supremacy, and the illusion of black inferiority. The feeding tanks of this of these oppressive norms are still there, uh-huh. and if people were really insightful enough that it be actual transformation, they would be at CBS and ABC with, with with their protest signs instead of waiting to after the next police murder of a, of an unarmed black person.
0: Mm. I wonder. I wonder if they see that.
1: That's what I'm saying. I know you,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: If it was a tra- if they had a transformation, they would see it. Right. Because Ray right. Charles, you know, if if if, if you know if his glasses, if he didn't need glasses, it's so it's so yeah. late.
0: Yeah, um, I know. I know one thing that happens for me is I um, I do see some of this, and I feel somewhat powerless in the face of the sort of multi-layered media industrial matrix, if you will.
1: Matrix is a good word because that's what it is.
0: Yeah, the kind of the web of web of illusions. I mean, one thing that I do feel also, part mind,
1: web, I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's also a web of, of intrusions.
0: Of what? Intrusions. Intrusions. Mm-hmm. It's a web intrusions. of
1: illusions and a web of of intrusions because a web
0: of illusions and a web of intrusions. Oh I love yes. that. I mean I don't love it but I love the way you put it.
1: Because our capacity to be human and and, and see the world through compassion e- equity investment fair eyes are being intruded upon right by by media and, and other systems in this in this society. So I'm yeah. so I'm I've been living with knowing that for many, many decades now. So I'm feeling, I'm feeling it. <laughs> the many what does decades. It feel
0: like? what, what does it feel like? And I want to talk about um, the, that critical lens in just a moment, but I want to know more about what it feels like to you to have, But what, what does it feel like to be you right now?
1: Well, this is very, uh, <laughs> um deep for lack of a better word, and it's and it's definitely better words. Um and it might be alarming, which is a which is a real appropriate word, but I feel like I'm on the on the precipice of going into a social coma or doing something radical out of out of a certain level of desperation. And frankly, that's that's of what's led, led me to do what we're doing.
0: Here. Ah, I see. So, to, to give some context, um, Cleo and I are going to be leading uh, a program called 22nd Century Leaders starting in April of 2021 for people who want to help uh, disabuse themselves of the illusions of white supremacy, build a true multiculture, and learn some extremely powerful tools for both inner and outer work to do that. Um, And I was, Cleo, I was frankly quite surprised when you said yes to me, because I know you don't typically work with white people. And for the record, I am white and Jewish, since you can't see me. Um, So when you said doing something radical, (laughs) include that in it. um, I'm, I'm curious, I'm curious to know what what made you say yes to this? And I also want to come back to the issue of um, of grief and how I think we need to make spaces to grieve the horrors that are happening around us. Um, because I think that's in, you know not doing that and you know also doing that and still being with so much grief can can in, can be indeed coma inducing. Uh, at the very least, I want us to make places and spaces to grieve. That's one of the things. Um, that we as a culture or lack of culture, if you will, uh, have not managed to do for the people. We have, you know, funerals when one person dies. But what about when a whole culture is under siege? So I want to come back to that. But I want to come back to you said you're on the verge of doing something radical. And that's what <laughs> made you uh, say yes to, to leading this program with me.
1: Yeah, um, and I want to put a pin for later discussion because it's really relevant to what we're doing to talk about the importance of our work creating intentional space along with the celebration, along with revelation, along with transformation for an explicit grieving process
0: Mm -hmm.
1: because there will be some grieving. There'll be some grieving of the death of white supremacy as a norm and impulse Mm -hmm. in people during this work. Mm -hmm. There's gonna be grieving of the consequences of the mythology of white supremacy in this twin brother patriarchy.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And there's gonna be grief among people who are black, Latino, Asian, native, indigenous, likely because the work that we do is effective of grieving what internalized white supremacist norms. Mm-hmm. And grieving is a word that always brings in sadness, but grieving can also be a cathartic, intentional separation from things that were not helpful that you're killing.
0: Yep. So, yep.
1: so I'm looking at grief in all kinds of ways and, I, and I'm feeling grief in all kinds of ways as we speak. But getting back to what we were talking about, um, when, when I, I live in a predominantly black community as I tend to always do intentionally. And after George Floyd's murder, I, when I heard all this, this ruckus outside of my office. And I went outside and saw a sea of young white people with signs that said, racism equals violence, Silence kills, um, and, and similar signs on the side of their cars, and it looked like the Brady Bunch you know, had come to hmm. the community to protest. Um, there were no signs that said um, separate me from the, from white privilege, um, or that said that I don't I don't want that anymore. It was just these reactions to... I think a sincere but fragmented and un and and non-thorough reaction to a murder that was just seen that they didn't want no associations with.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and I think they meant well. And I think that what you want to do and what you've initiated here is an opportunity to tap into the organic hearts of people that have been intruded upon by a larger institutionalized mythology that has led to the likes of George Floyd's murder and the likes of white people wanting something different than just being associated with such evil.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I, think we, um, I think that white people in general right now who care um, have a bit of a, uh, an internal rumbling, like a shifting of internal tectonic plates, if you will, we know something's not right. We don't know exactly what to do or what it means for us or what we'll have to give up or any of that, but we know something needs to happen.
1: Yeah. Um, ha- have you interviewed whites to get that, to find out if that's really their deduction about where they are?
0: Um, not exactly. What I, what I have noticed is um, a split among white people where um, we slash they want to kind of put all the blame on the other white people, like uh, Derek Chauvin, who killed George Floyd, um, like their uncle or their, the, the person they went to high school with who still has those same old attitudes. And to a person I've been seeing on social media, white people pointing the finger at other white people as being the problem. And then other white people piling on and going, yeah, yeah, it's them, you know, unfriend them, you know, tell them how it is. Um, And I've said a number of times, hang on a second. The same system of white supremacy that created that person also created you. How are we all implicated in this? Number one. Number two, if you don't talk to that friend of yours from high school who do you think will? Is it not the ultimate expression of white privilege to say, I don't feel like talking to them? Who do you think is going to, you know, drive them in, in the Uber or Lyft or, you know, drop off their food or have to come in and clean their house? It, it may very well be a person of color. And if we don't take the opportunity to use our white privilege and use the relationships we have with the white people in our lives to talk with the quote unquote other white people about their attitudes, then who will? This is the time when we need to be coming closer to people whose attitudes are uncomfortable for us and doing that work and stepping towards that discomfort and getting curious about really, well, how, what makes you think that? And asking, you know, those kinds of clio ish questions that um, can help people to see where those illusions came to be in the first place and invite them into allyhood. Some of the most powerful experiences I've had, I talked to you about earlier were about, Asking a a white person to be an ally, not blaming them, not shaming them, not telling them how they're wrong, but saying, hey, you know, we we need your allyship right now. Can you step into this with me?
1: Well, what you just described um, before mentioning the ally example is what I mean by disassociation, an active investment in not being associated with the bad whites. Yeah. And that act of association is inadvertently way more self centered than getting involved in transformation. Because. Hey, wait,
0: say that, say that again. The that, act of association.
1: That, that, that act of disassociation is way more um, self centered than being involved in transformation. Yeah. I don't, I don't wanna,
0: yeah. I think it's a reaction. I think it's a knee-jerk white supremacist reaction, Um, and then I think the repulsion is genuine. But what we don't realize is that it's also uh, being repulsed by something that lives inside of us. We're projecting it on, completely projecting it onto something we we think is outside of us.
1: And I'm hoping it's genuine. I mean, I I have a, a, a potentially disturbing. Metaphor that I often use, but it works in some situations. It may or may not work in this situation, but it's kind of like for the victim, manslaughter, whether it was mass slaughter or murder, doesn't really make that much difference. Mm -hmm. They're dead. Can
0: can you break down the analogy more to what we're talking about?
1: Yes. Being, you said something along the lines that these people's reactions, these white people's reactions, were sincere but i think you use another word
0: i think is, they i think they were sincerely repulsed right, i think since, it's, a, yeah, a, yeah. it's a superficial you, you there said was they, one person, yeah
1: you said they were sincerely repulsed and yeah. that might be why they did the dissociation because they were repulsed but my perspective is um if you were really really repulsed on a meaningful level from my perspective you don't get involved in this association you get involved in active transformation and mm-hmm. you understand what you just said Jill which is um being a, a person who's called white in society it's highly likely that people like that are very in, very much in close proximity with me including along bloodlines wait so the-
0: oh 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 Wait, say, say that again.
1: A transformative perspective would, as opposed to an egotistical or self-centered, disassociative perspective would be, I better get busy it, mm-hmm. because it's real likely that there are people who are in close proximity to me, including along bloodlines, family members, in other words, yeah. who feel this, who, who, who affirm what happened to George Floyd or who are not that upset about it.
0: Me meeting the white person.
1: Right, instead of trying to go out in the community with a sign to disassociate,
0: right? Because
1: because disassociation has almost no relationship to transformation. It's like a drag show. Yeah, it's a performance It's like performance art. Yeah. It's not a transformation, and it does not help anything. Yeah. So I would like to see people who in theory, are decent enough to actually care or were that that intentionality that you just said is there regarding being repulsed, actually be magnified and become a more useful aspect of who they are towards social change.
0: Yeah. And what would let you know that that was happening?
1: Oh, well, um, I, believe, be- I believe, I yeah. believe and I, I'll use you as an example. Um, though I don't remember every nook and cranny of our first meeting because there was a lot happening and a lot occurred. But I know, but I know me. I've been living with myself for a few years, and I know how I am. And uh, when I put you put your, your 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 um put you back on my shoulder, it was to. was to make the moment less overwhelming and more transformative. Hmm. And that you got it to a relatively good extent in your work and who you allowed yourself to become to be or, or your capacity to be enhanced in terms of your organic interest in decent humanity is an example of someone involved in a transformative experience as opposed to simply a disassociative experience. As yeah.
0: a- well, I, I want to dissociate, I want I I really want to dissociate myself a lot of times. Um, and it's taken like reaching really down deep, you know, and the irony is you, you talked about the touch, like putting us you and I back into physical contact. Um, it wasn't until years later, but I wound up developing this, this body of work around um, somatic counseling called Wisdom of the Body that includes the possibility of restorative touch because that's something that you don't get in a therapist's office. Um, and I really think that we are all not just out of our right and decent minds, but also out of our bodies in terms of um, processing um, metabolizing if you will um the delusions and the insanity and the, the gaslighting of white supremacy and I, mean, and I mean all of us i mean um you know people of european descent aka white people and people of other descents we organize ourselves in different places and spaces with respect to this this myth this white supremacist mythology but we are we're all um Impacted by it. Um, it, Go ahead.
1: Okay. Well, I think you know that how I describe what I think you're describing is that we're all in a trance.
0: Yeah, we're kind of all in a trance. Yeah.
1: We're not fully embodied. We're not fully present. Right. And that's dangerous. One of the things that I see our work doing, and I know my work doing does, I should say, is trance breaking. Trance what? Trance breaking.
0: Trance breaking, yes.
1: Because people are almost on automatic pilot. Right. If they're in a, a trance. Yep. And, the, and an automatic pilot in an automatically white supremacy mythology based culture keeps people like me perpetually in danger. Right. Automatically, if you will. And I want to do work before I leave this planet that that does even that has even more dimension than the work that I do now. The work that I do now, which is quite dimensional, is predominantly focused on black folks and that's, that's the spaces I prefer to be in even when they're difficult spaces, they can be a difficult space. It can be difficult being around self-hating black people, which I would say is the majority of black people in this country because of the white supremacist norms in the mm-hmm. society that implies that white people are more beautiful, more human, more more celebratory, et cetera. And, but I want to do work that includes that work and will always include that work. But this, I'm interested in this, in this experiment that you invited me into as well, which will also include people who are not white.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so um, I'm glad that you're interested in that. And I know um, what I recall, and you can correct me if I've recalled incorrectly, is that you started out as a young person um, knowing way less than you know, you started out with a very um, innocent and, dare I say, beautiful multicultural dream that you know echoes some of the most often quoted um, Martin Luther King speeches, where we, we we're all living to you know in harmony with one another, we're all um, contributing to one another, and that some part of you still has nurtured that tiny little flame, even as the murderous reality of white supremacy has committed its horrific acts again and again and again, and that has um, led you to focus most of your life and your thinking and your body work around um, uplifting the Black community and helping to detransify, if you will, um, people of African descent.
1: Well, my um, organic lens, or my baby lens, if you will, um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call it, though that might be a word that fits, but I wouldn't call it multicultural. I would call it naive and inclusive. Oh. And because I saw this interesting multi-shaded human mosaic and found it fascinating, mm-hmm. um, what I have learned to do is prioritize my time and my space with the group that I have to be a part of that I have um, more scientific and lifelong and um, um, researched and lived experience with called Black in the society. Yeah. That has, that's that's the most displaced people because of domestication and slavery in this society and i don't got a lot of energy to be you know spread all over the place and right. um, everybody else relatively speaking have more cultural cohesion and synthesis than black people so called black people in this society had. and mm-hmm. the casual and the casual level is profound yeah so but- that's why my lens has been very black focused
0: yeah and i have um it's more, it's more than respect. I don't know what to say. I, um, have been profoundly grateful and, and, um, respect is sort of base level but um, it really in awe of the work that you do. And also because I'm, I'm somebody who's really hungry for truth and I, I'm kind of allergic to equivocation. And I, I get, I get very confused with, um, with mixed messages and, you know, mixed messages and illusion are kind of part of our culture. And so I've always found your messages profoundly refreshing. Um, Even though I'm not black, obviously, um, it seems so very relevant to me as a white person living in a white supremacist culture where I benefit from white privilege to hear such, for want of a better term, Afrocentric perspective. Um, So that's why I've been, listen following you all these years and listening to what you say because it helps me get closer to the truth it helps me understand what the heck is going on um, and also um, I feel I feel good knowing that black people have you to help them understand not that everybody always agrees with you or not that I even always agree with you but um, you're on it I mean, Every, you know, the the commentary that you make about the media, the shows that you um, put on. I mean, you've held my feet to the fire when necessary. And I and I appreciate that. Um, and you've done it, you know, haven't let me off the hook, but you also haven't attacked me. You know? <laughs> so I appreciate the way that you show up and you, you know, tell the truth with love.
1: Well, I'm a strategist. I mean, l- love is there. I can't help that. I mean, I can't help my heart and my natural way of being is trying to be a solution or an asset to wherever i'm wherever i am physically present or intellectually present so i can't help that that heart piece but i have never been able to handle hypocrisy yeah I just, I just can't, you know. <laughs> and and it's and it's interesting because this one of the sc- scenarios that we first met at was CIIS, which was a, which which I used tease the place and say the seat was for Caucasian, even though they claimed it was for, for the California Institute of Integral Studies, but it was very white. There. Mm-hmm. And um, during during my interview process to become. Eligible, if you will, to be in the PhD program, I went through this. I and everybody else, it wasn't just me, all of us went through this relatively arduous um, interview process and academic testing process, process to see if we were, you know, material for the school. And I did pass all that test. But well, one thing that stands out that just came to mind, which chose me, which, which kind of holds up the, the dichotomy that I live with, is that. During the last part of that process, I was in this room again with these white folks who were making a decision about whether I was smart enough to be a PhD student. And two of them said, one was a white woman and one was a white male. They said, You're so, you're so honest. You know, you're so direct and you're so the word they kept they they kept on focus on was you you're just so. They use another word more than honest. Um, honest is almost a light word compared to what they use. But the word they use meant that, that you just say it how you see it. And in resp- instead of being caught up and being impressed by them being impressed with me, I said, well, what are you doing? <laughs> I, I mean, if you're impressed with somebody simply being honest about th- their worldview, what, what are you doing? And I was, and I was, I was somewhat, I was somewhat irritated. I wasn't abusive because that's not my style. Just like you said before; I've never attacked you because it's not a good strategy. It's not helpful, and it also <laughs> is a, it's not resonant with my heart. But it's not a good strategy. But anyway, right. I was like, well, you know, what are y'all doing? And and they were dumbfounded. They know they turned. You know, white people are light enough to turn red. You can't tell if I'm embarrassed, but you can tell the white folks are embarrassed. <laughs> and you know, they were turning colors. And I was sitting there because i don't i don't I do not ask rhetorical questions. I'm sitting there waiting, you know, for the answer. <laughs> yeah. and none of them none of them answered. As a matter of fact, I assumed or i, I imagined that okay, I'm not they're not going to let me in now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but they did, but um
0: nobody answered.
1: Nobody answered.
0: So for those of you listening, what do you do and what do you do? Rather than tell the truth, yeah. you know, and so this is where you know. I just I listened to this podcast with uh, well, Brene Brown was interviewing um, Sonia Taylor, um, The Body is Not an Apology author, and you know we're all trained out of tuning into the wisdom of our own bodies from such an early age. You know, we're trained to defer to authority, and Cleo, I don't know how you made it through all that. Um, with the ability and really the, the inability not to tell the truth the way that you do. I don't know how you managed to um, nurture and preserve that, but I'm sure so glad you did.
1: Well, the I know you're going you, you to make a comment, but I want to say this real quickly because I'm, I, I want to show the full circle here. Earlier, when this conversation first started, um, I was talking about how, the state that I'm in
0: right mm-hmm. now. Yeah,
1: what you just got finished finished saying is relevant to it. You said, Mm -hmm. "How did you manage?" Well, you know, at this late date, um, it's a challenge.
0: Yeah, I get concerned about you sometimes.
1: Well, I mean, I appreciate that, but and it is what it is. But what people do um, when they don't want to tell the truth or face the truth. They, they go back into the trance. Yep. They default into the trance state.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: And people who disassociate are still doing trance behavior. Mm-hmm. Because right. part, because part of the society norms, particularly since social media, is that I can't look bad. Mm-hmm. Not that I can't be bad. You. Know, right. <laughs> There's a difference between I can't be bad and I can't look bad, and I think a lot of the activity around George Floyd among whites and probably among some others, including some black people, frankly, because mm-hmm. uh, internalized white supremacy is a major epidemic among black people. But it's a it's it's e- for black people, it's a fractured ego reaction, and for a lot of white people, it's a disassociative
0: reaction. So hang on, you just said a lot there. And I think the sound might have broken up. I want to make sure that we all heard that phrase, internalized white supremacy is what you said, right? Yeah. And can you elaborate a little bit on how um, how it sits differently people have descended from different cultures?
1: One of the more blatant examples is the, the it's been a long time since many people have seen black women's hair. Mm-hmm. Because they're constantly wearing a hat, a white hat, mm-hmm. called hair,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and sometimes that white hat is blonde. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's platinum blonde, and, and 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 when I do engage black women about this, the first thing that some of them do is go, "Well, you can't talk about a black woman in their hair." I say, "Yes, I can. I'm getting ready to." You know, I'm not buying. You're not. You're not shutting me down on this. And I'm not, going, I'm not buying into the accusation of patriarchy because that's not where this is coming from. As a matter of fact, this is coming from me loving and valuing you as a as a, as a human being who's a woman, who's a black woman. Because they try to find these ways to, to def, you know deflect the conversation.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: they'll, and they'll say, well, it's, a, it's, it's just hair. It's, it's just a fashion statement and everybody does it. I said, okay, well, if everybody does it, that means that there will be a bunch of white women with Afro wigs and Afro... Puffs on their hair equal to black women wearing blonde hair, and you know, and you know that's not true. Yeah. So this is the sign. I'm, this is what I say to them. You know that's not true. So come out of the trance and admit that this is a symptom of internalized white supremacist mythology. Mm-hmm. Now, what I'm saying to you, I'm really abbreviating the interaction. It's way more. Go. I don't say. I'm not that abrupt because I because no. I i'm concerned about their feelings but i but i'm being you know abbreviated to you because we have the conversation we don't want to mess up all the bandwidth <laughs> 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 at least some of them are our hard drives you know but anyway uh,
0: the i and I, of- i'm sorry go ahead say, okay. say your-
1: that, was, that was an attempt to answer your question in terms of an example another example would be but the majority of people that are well known in the media of note have white partners like CNN. All the black men on CNN have white partners and there's no such thing as an accidental pattern.
0: An accidental pattern. No such thing as an accidental pattern. And um, what what does that mean to you when you see a a pattern of black or, I know it's different to ask on an individual level, but what what does that say to you, this pattern of black people with white partners?
1: Well, it says personally that I have to take care of myself because I'm an at, I'm an activist and a soldier against the casualties of internalized white supremacy, and my work is cut off on myself, so I have to eat my Wheaties, if you will. So that's the first thing it says. The second thing it does is makes me um, feel feel a sense of grief mm-hmm. because that is. I'm, see, I'm clear as a veil, and I've been clear since I was a child. Not my whole childhood, because I, I don't want to imply that because that's not true. But I found at a very young age that white people indeed were not supreme, and indeed mm-hmm. were not superior, and were definitely not superior to me or black people. That became clear to me as a really young person based on something that I may or may not talk about because of time. So that I see so many black people who don't have that revelation that, you, that you're mm-hmm. not inferior it's, it can be. It's, it it, it, it could be painful.
0: Hmm. So, do you think that's it? So, you see that as? How how would you, how would you explain it to a child? Why do so many black people have white partners?
1: Oh well. To, okay. That's that's a specific type of question. When I talk to babies, who I love to talk to, by the way, and baby is to me thirty and under. <laughs> um, um, I ask them questions, and that's part of the strategy that I believe in. Instead of telling people what to think and telling them anything, I first create a canvas of critical thinking and analysis. And I ask the child, and I've done this, so what I'm going to ask it, tell you I've actually done this. I'll say to a child, have you noticed um, the last several commercials on television have featured either half-white-looking people who are half-Black and half-white or Black people with, with white people? Mm -hmm. and depending on their age they'll say yes and i'll say what do you think about that and in most cases they have never even been allowed a given space to even engage at all so their initial reaction is like stuttering and like but they but what's 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 deep though is they feel a sense of danger in even addressing it
0: Mm, because it's it's knocking on the door of the trance.
1: Yes, exactly. So I sit there with my most you know positive posture and less you know uh, make my posture as neutral as possible. And I say, well, you know, what do you think? It's fine. Whatever you have to say. And they'll one of their first reactions often is, well, it's a, it's, it's a sign of there being no racism. It's a sign mm-hmm. of people, people not seeing color. And I'll stay calm, which which is difficult for really. but, I, but strategically I'll stay calm and I go, okay, we'll explain that. Well, people come together, black and white, and if they're if they're marrying each other, that's a sign of, of, of things getting better. And then I'll say to them, Well, okay, are you are you do you know what capitalism is? And most of you don't know what that is. And I'll say, Well, capitalism is a system that's built around around money and capital which is what money another word for money and making money and the market is built around making sure that whatever you do is promoted to the largest group possible so you can get as rich and raise as much capital as possible and I'll say do you live in a black community or in a black family and the child will usually say yes I say how many people you see that look like these people and in most cases, they're rare. And mm-hmm. I'll say, okay, why would TV promote their products to a small group in a capitalist society that requires on advertising to a largest market share to be successful? And then I'll ask them, do you, do you understand what the heck I just said? <laughs> <laughs> and if they say no, I'll reiterate it again in a more simpler way. Uh-huh. And, I'll, and I'll say, why are you why do you think the Colgate and the cereal companies are promoting their goods to a population that you rarely see? Mm. And they'll scratch their little heads. And I'll, <laughs> and I'll and I'll and I'll then I'll ask them another question. Do you know what, a, what an agenda is? And they usually don't know what an agenda is. And I'll say, what well, an agenda is, for example, have your has your mother ever said something to you to get you to be on her side instead of your father's side <laughs> and they'll say yes I'll say well your mother had an agenda and when your father does it it's because he has an agenda that they want you to buy into to be on their side compared to to your other parent and they and they always understand that <laughs> I said, that's an agenda. I said, somebody, I want you to figure it out, has an agenda in the media, which is why they're showing this small group of people and, and totally contradicting the science of making money to create this, to, to promote it to a population that's, that you never see or that you rarely see. That's an agenda. And their little ears, and even when they're adults get perked up, of some things are making sense to them and then I'll ask them uh, whose agenda might it be and they don't they almost never have an answer mm. and I'll I, I, and then I go back to CNN and I'll show them CNN or go to the YouTube or go to someplace where I can show what I'm talking about and show them, um, Van Van Jones, the Don Lemon, and this other guy who all have shows on CNN, and I'll let them know they all have white they all have white partners, and I'll ask them, "Who do you think owns CNN? You think do you think they look like me and you?" And they almost at the speed of life, they almost go, "No, no." that, that there's no <laughs> there's no hesitation in that answer. Yeah. No. No. I go, so I said, okay, whose agenda? Who's in a position to have this agenda and execute this agenda? And then they'll get fearful again of some kind of danger of answering that question. Mm. Because the trans tells black people, you don't question whiteness, white norms, white power. You know, you don't question it. And, and, and this is why, as, as I said earlier, and i shut the hell up for finally because I've been talking a while, but I want but to end this and go back to something I said earlier about white people being involved in disassociation and black mm-hmm. people being involved in having a fractured ego. Now I'll get to explain what I mean by that because we already, we've already explained disassociation. A fractured ego, all people have an ego. A healthy ego is when you walk around the planet comfort in your body, Confident with who you are, and able to flow because you feel fine about who you are. You don't have to beat up nobody. You don't have to call nobody names. You don't have to. You don't have to step up and show that you're bigger and better than anybody because that's insecure behavior. That's not confident behavior, right? And when you're confident, you you know you you walk in a room and you you could you just chilling because you you're you're, you're, you're fine in your body. Yeah. Not not at somebody else's expense. Because you just independently feel fine, because you were lucky enough to be developed that way. Well, fractured ego is an ego where you are stepping up and overdoing it, being hyper masculine or even hyper feminine or hyper something else because you don't because you're trying to compensate for what you for for what you think is a deficiency with which is you. Yeah. And there's black people who see a black person get murdered. On video, and they get embarrassed, and their fractured ego fractured ego goes, oh, "I'm not going out like that," and they'll and they'll have a protest. It's not based on them really feeling good about being black or sure about black people's humanity and des, des, deser, deservingness of, of justice. Because if black people felt that way, we wouldn't be having the same fight for the last hundred years. We've been fight, we've been literally fighting against post brutality. And, and stopping the fight before it's ended for for about 100 years. Mm. What I mean by ended, stopping the fight before it's, it's complete. For example, Jewish people whose mantra is never again, as opposed to black people's, whose new forced on their mantra is white people, please let our lives matter. Right. Which is passive. Jewish people have... Been more relentlessly invested in never again, mm-hmm. as a mantra and as a safety net. Don't fuck with us again. You, you know you yeah. don't. You're not gonna do that shit again to us, black people. Because of the relative lack of self embodiment and comfort with being black, and, su- and the lack of success at deflecting white supremacist invasion, are wishy-washy about what we deserve. And then we have the word, the N-word, which keeps us unstable regarding our worth. As you know yourself, Jews don't go around calling themselves kikes as a norm. Right. Or allow there to be love songs about my favorite kike. They're literally (laughs) black songs on the radio. Yeah. That glorify my, this is my N-word.
0: Yeah. Yep. And those are yeah. all
1: side effects of fractured ego consequences of unresolved internalized white supremacy.
0: Yeah, yeah, I see it. I'm, I'm, living, I'm living in the heart of Oakland right now and I, I see the manifestations of that um, and of lack of we were talking about initiation for young men, lack of stepping into what it actually means to be a young man or to be a young woman or to be a young, be a young non-binary person like for that effect. matter.
1: There are no no reparative rites of passage.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so so much fracturedness. And, you know, so um, we have maybe 15 more minutes here. And um, I wanted to talk about whiteness and Jewishness because I felt a little bit like um, half of me is ghosted out here when I um, am positioning myself as a white, leader of dismantling white supremacy and at the same time I'm also Jewish so I felt a little bit of a split within myself because on the one hand I'm positioning myself as a leader of white people dismantling white supremacy and on the other hand I'm also Jewish and blood relatives of mine were killed along with you know six million other Jews and people of other descents in the name of white supremacy. Through, and you were the one who pointed that out to me, Cleo, I think many, many years ago that, you know, Hitler's Aryan race um, was based on ideals of white supremacy. And by the way, when I see white women bleaching their black or brown or red hair blonde and getting breast implants and um, when I, I see that aesthetic, um, my mind immediately goes to icons of Aryan fertility, you know like I see that. That's of course that's that's exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah, and I, I think about what am I going to do with my hair now in the pandemic, you know, if I if I put these kind of blondish highlights back in am I supporting white supremacy if I go dark you know, this is, this there are immediate questions here that go through my mind. Um, but, but we can talk about hair and women and cosmetic and patriarchy more and another um, installation. But back to Jewishness, because I noticed that we, you know, even in, even in this, this uh, 22nd century leaders group that's going to start in April that you and I are leading, I noticed that I sort of wrote, did, I did not write Jewishness into um, the copy. We talked about, on the one hand, people of European descent, a.k.a. white. Um, on the other hand, people of um, Latinx. Asian, African, and indigenous descent. And I'm starting to feel like I wrote <laughs> Jewish people sort of out of the equation because I don't know exactly where we fit. Certainly in this moment, um, Jews of European descent who look something like me, we all have white skin privilege. And I think that um, directs our role in this next phase of history. Um, on the other hand, there have been you know, anti-Semitic events and horrific acts of violence, um, synagogue shootings. So we're both on, we're both implicated in the, the white identity, intersubjectivity, if you will, and we have opportunities to act in the realm of whiteness to dismantle white supremacy. On the other hand, we're on the receiving act end of violent acts of white supremacy. So. It's um, it's interesting and puzzling place to be standing in. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about that.
1: Well, it shows, on one hand, the seductive, entrancing power of a myth of white supremacy for Jews, Jews, in particular, to allow or or be passive in the midst of white identification or association, mm-hmm. particularly given the history of Jewish people, which is which is not European.
0: Mm-hmm. Which um, history are you talking about?
1: Well, the, the, like, I, like I said, in one of our previous conversations, uh, I learned about the Falashian Jews and the Jews of East Africa who literally have the oldest stars of David in the world because they mm. still have ancient stars of David because that's, it comes from them. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if you've read about or know about the, the white supremacist racism that's happening in Israel between uh, Af- African Jews and Europe, Jews of European descent. It's just like here.
0: Yeah.
1: Between People who are identified as white and everybody else is, 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 is off the chain.
0: Yeah.
1: Famous, a famous singer that has since died from issues that they won't face relevant to white supremacy mythology, which is Whitney Houston. Um, you, can go, you can go on YouTube and see when Whitney Houston went to Israel and what happened, some of the things that happened to her mm. when, she, when she was there. And that you may or may not find out. And I want you to do even more research that when she got there, she had never gone there before. And she didn't even know about, that there were Black people there. She went there for mm-hmm. a concert to perform that she saw these Black people there. And she wound up spending most of her time with the Black people. And she got pissed off at the leader of Israel at the time because he was told that he was reported to be a racist by the African Jews who, mm-hmm. who came to Israel for Mecca, if you will. Yeah. Uh-huh. and she wound up donating a lot of money to the black Israelites. And some people believe that, that um, well, I won't get into that, 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 that conspiracy. But what I'll say that's similar to this is that Irish people, Italian people, um, Greek people, Jewish people who of, of European descent and other people have forfeited their indigenous culture to be white.
0: Yeah, that's what I talked about earlier with you about making a deal with the devil where um, immigrants came over and assimilated in order to survive. And so I think some of us have this this epigenetic um, terror of connecting with our roots. And most of us don't even know, like, I don't know how many Yiddish words does my son know and I raised him Jewish. Um, And so the whiteness is the deal with it. The whiteness is what we were offered in exchange for basically abdicating our culture. So when we talk about creating truly multicultural spaces, we're kind of, you know, many of us are reaching for a void within ourselves. And what what are we going to bring to these spaces if we have abdicated our culture in exchange for this, you know, um, holy grail of whiteness?
1: Yep. Yep, yep, yep and part, so, of work be, part of our will be ahead part work will be unpacking exploring and illuminating this phenomena toward help people purge from its toward helping participants purge from its its toxic norms to tap into their human decency that yeah. has, that has been forfeited in too many cases by for lack of a better term using your term the deal with the devil
0: yeah, yeah, and I want to say not just decency, but also um, potential, also clarity, also um, ability to um, to actively construct our own true narrative of who we are, where we came from, what we stand for, and how we can go about um, uh, bringing our our visions to the world. Once we once we get can, can clear away some of the muck and some of the illusion, and some of the trance,
1: uh, and that's what Finish that, I don't, want to, I don't want to interrupt your thought.
0: I was just going to say of uh, white supremacy.
1: OK. <laughs> well, maybe I'm naive, but I think what you just described is the trail to decency.
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. I've been believing for a long time, frankly, though I'm questioning it now more than ever, that at the core, and this comes from world travel, from knowing other, all types of people including Black and beyond so-called Black people, um, that there's a decency in a, in, in a lot of people when space is created for decency to, is a better word than prosper. Um, Emerge, th- th- flourish. That, that, that flourish, that's the word, that's exactly the word. That, that when people, you know, most people love babies. Mm -hmm. Most healthy people love babies, love their baby, love their children, love their mother. Most people have a great capacity to love and cherish. Most people have a great capacity for decency.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And these deals, if you will, are interrupting people's decency and tearing at the society's potential Human, the, the potential among human beings to be thoughtful. For example, mm-hmm. I know you know at this point about the, the climate change we're dealing with
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that Western society in particular is literally killing the planet. Yeah, Nobody intends to kill the planet in terms of that being what they wake up in the morning to do. But the consequences of a lack of thoughtfulness that's interrupted by capitalism white supremacy, patriarchy, and, and other disorders. Uh, Hyper capitalism, if you will. Yeah. gets in the way of us even um, being thoughtful about how we operate on, on this planet. So, because this planet's in trouble, I mean, I don't know if you've seen Attenborough's most recent film on the climate issue and what's happening in the South Pole and the North Pole. But it's really, 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 really bad.
0: That was a lot of reallys. I haven't well, seen that. We don't have enough
1: time for all the reallys. Like I said, we need our hard drive space. I know. Uh, you know, and bandwidth and all of that. But no, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's really, really, it's really, really bad. And we, and, we, and it's not only is dismantling and abnormalizing white supremacy methodology helpful to, to its to its victims, is helpful to the planet.
0: Yeah, I agree. And so, and as I was um, talking about er, talking earlier with um, my my family here, uh, dismantling white supremacy is sort of the s- sort of simple, not simple sounding, but um, easy to describe in a phrase task. Dismantling white supremacy that's kind of like the tip of the iceberg because it it reaches into capitalism, as you say, it reaches into the history of immigration in the U S it reaches into the, the epigenetic, um, deals with the devil, if you will, that, that, you know, my, we all families made in order to survive. Um, it, it reaches into how we think about ourselves, our desire to feel good about ourselves and the, um, the beliefs that we've constructed in order to do that. If you're going to dis, if you're going to provide somebody with, with a lens cleaner, um, they need some tools to be prepared for what they're about to see. Cause it might feel shocking to them. It might feel threatening to family or ancestral or cultural loyalties, or even, you know, loyalties to the principles of a company that they work for. Um, and so that's what, we are going to weave together is the this collection of critical thinking and somatic intelligence wisdom of the body um and getting underneath language tools to be able to um not only not only to see clearly what's going on but to cope with the aftermath you know if you've built your sense of self around illusions even if they're you know sugar-coated, happy-sounding illusions, if suddenly you realize that they were illusions and you no longer want to live that way, well, what the heck are you going to do? You might need some support. You might need some some counsel. You might need a group of people to help you think about how you want to move forward in the world um, with this new lens that's that's now clear.
1: And that provides opportunity to underscore that not only are we creating a skills building opportunity and a awakening opportunity and a capacity to decode the system of problems so we can not inadvertently become part of the problem we're also we're also creating a community of people to 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 be there for each other
0: yes a community while we're while we're doing this work and also a laboratory to test out how things work. Um, one of the favorite things that I have done in, in my former trainings through wisdom of the body was what I like to call rewinds and fast forwards. Um, in real life, you're in a conversation and sometimes you go, Oh gosh, I wish I thought to say this thing, or I'm going to have a conversation with someone. I wish I could be really prepared. Well, we get to do that with each other. Like I'm going to go talk, you know, to my uncle Fred and gosh, he he's always been such a racist. Well, what do I, I usually avoid conversations with And Well, I'm, but now you want me to talk to him. What am I going to say? Well, let's let's pretend I'm Uncle Fred. You know, <laughs> let's let's go back and forth. Let's slow it down. Let's. Oh, you're feeling anxious. You want to leave your body. I know what that feels like. Here's some here's some things we can do to um, to love up that part of yourself because that's you know one of the things that I've realized in doing this work. Um, and this is one of the big takeaways from my work with Robert Horton's um, on training white liberal racism, which is based in Rita Shimon's work is that when white people try to engage with other white people, it hooks into our own deepest stuff, our own baggage. Um, And and when we learn, I've taken that a step further too. Well, when we learn um, what that is and how it lives in our body and what patterns we're doing, we can also learn how to get ourselves out of those patterns. So we come in with more presence of mind, with more breath. Um, and with more of a sense of spaciousness to be with whatever's coming up in the other person, like that kind of spaciousness that you bring when you're talking to the quote unquote babies under 30, you're saying, oh, and what do you think that is? You know, I just I've loved how you do that, how you ask these questions that allow people to dismantle um, their own illusions and step out of their own trances. Yep. So I want
1: to
0: go ahead finish.
1: No, just saying because the trance must be broken.
0: The trance must be broken. The trance must be broken. <laughs> yep. Um, so, Cleo, what do you say we wind this up here for now? And um, if there's any way to ask questions or make comments, we'll. Um, this is going to be. This podcast is going to be live in many different places. But you can always. Um, Email me at jill at evolutionaryworkplace.com. That's E-V-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-A-R-Y workplace, jill at evolutionaryworkplace.com. And Cleo, is there any place we can email you?
1: Yeah. um, I think the best place right now would simply be cleomanago at gmail.com.
0: Okay. So with that... um, we want to say goodbye for now to everyone and um, see you next time.
1: And good night, Jim. <laughs>
0: good night, Cleo.